In episode 12 of the Well-Led Schools podcast, I cover how we can use anonymous staff well-being surveys to ask our staff questions about their key stresses in the workplace and the initiatives they would find the most helpful. I'll also share what our collected data reveals about what the top-rated stresses are affecting school staff across Australia and the top initiatives that our staff would like to see implemented in their schools. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff well-being action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships, a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Asking your staff about their workplace stresses and the suggested initiatives to tackle their well-being is the fastest way to uncover the most effective strategies and initiatives to address and prevent teacher burnout at your school. The problem is many of our well-intentioned efforts to address teacher and staff well-being are often wasted as they don't actually address the leading stresses of our staff or take into account what changes they would like to see happen. This might explain why our staff are still frustrated and exhausted, even though we plan more morning teas, encourage access to the EAP and promote teacher self-care. Through my work with schools, I've been collecting data regarding the top reported causes of stress across multiple Australian schools. And what I'm seeing is unsurprising, but I must say These areas continue to be unaddressed as we divert our energy towards supporting staff well-being with initiatives that don't really meet the root cause of our well-being and culture woes in the first place. It's really important here for us to identify the workplace stresses that are most prevalent in our setting. If we're not prepared to take an objective look at the state of our schools, at our leadership approaches and any current introduced initiatives or programs that we've got running in the school, it can be extremely difficult to uncover the underlying stresses and the challenges that our staff are facing each day. In my experience, many leaders are making the mistake of assuming they know the stresses of their staff basing these assumptions really on their own opinions and observations 
and very few facts or evidence. Actually, a little sideline here is that what I'm actually seeing is that the stresses reported by leaders versus the stresses reported by staff are vastly different. So what this is telling me is that if, I, if, if it's up to our leaders, sorry, to identify and talk about the stresses that their staff might be experiencing, I've seen them actually be really different. So we might be missing the mark. Furthermore, what stresses are known can seem really insurmountable. Therefore, they get swept under the rug at times in favour of more operational or instructional goals, all with the hope that it won't all implode. What's missing from many school leader and staff relationships is the trust and respect to speak outwardly and frankly about the issues within the system and within our school so that everyone can come together to form solutions. It doesn't help when some leaders are reluctant to keep an open mind towards what staff have to say or when staff have no other way of venting their grievances other than through gossip. But that's what happens when we take an us-versus-them approach. Sometimes we don't even realise that that's the approach that we've assumed. That's why it's really important for us to work jointly with staff when trying to find effective solutions to workplace stresses. Unmanaged teacher stress and increasing burnout rates are really leading to a worldwide loss of teachers. We know this. <laughs> According to the findings by Goddard and Goddard, there is a strong association between intention to leave the profession and teacher burnout and subsequently high rates of attrition by early career teachers across numerous countries worldwide. So as such, it really makes sense to work to understand how and why teacher stress arises in our schools and to make informed decisions about prevention and intervention approaches aimed at reducing and responding to those stresses. While it's most certainly true that staff or being challenges are dictated by more than just how we lead the school, there are definitely steps that we can take in our school to take matters into our own hands and change our way of doing in each individual school. Asking staff about factors that can indicate and then lead to their burnout helps bring more awareness to the acute needs of staff within each school setting and it can guide our future decision-making or actions. Now, I've talked a lot about workplace stresses and the, the, the stress that we can experience at work, and these can really be sectioned into both organizational and operational. So organizational stresses might include things like role clarity, so staff don't understand their role, their um, key duties or any reporting relationships, and they aren't actually informed of changes, including new responsibilities. Also, staff might perceive here that others aren't clear on their job roles and responsibilities, and this can lead to frustration around unequal workload. Another organisational stressor is job control, so staff haven't been provided with opportunities to participate in decisions that affect them, Uh, so consultation and the provision of feedback, um, you know, and their role in big school decisions. 
resources and skill development. So here, staff might not have been provided with the appropriate resources and training required to competently do their job and manage its associated demands. So I'm thinking here in a school where student behaviour is a real challenge, if we haven't had the adequate training in how to manage students here and manage classrooms, uh, we can feel like we don't have the adequate resources and skills and that's why we're often looking outward. Why don't we have more support in the classroom? I need the leaders in here more. Um, you know, that's that's the go-to, <laughs> what staff might say that they need, but it might actually be skills. Another organisational stressor might be respect, trust and equity. So staff might be struggling with workplace behaviour that may adversely impact their mental health and well-being. Then also we have leadership and management capability. So perhaps leaders in management might not be apt at people management um, and may lack confidence to identify and address any risk factors in a timely manner. And this just leaves staff feeling more and more frustrated, morale's impacted, and this is where we might see pockets of insubordination brewing too. Then we have some operational factors. So they include things perhaps like dealing with the school community. So staff might be challenged by threatening or inappropriate student or community member behaviour. Perhaps things like occupational violence. So staff might be experiencing threats to their physical or emotional safety from staff, students and community members. And then another one might be long working hours or excessive workload. Here, staff might perceive that workload is excessive, undefined, poorly managed or overseen, or staff might not see the purpose behind certain tasks or be clear on what's actually required and why. Now, we as leaders know that there is a lot of extra red tape, compliance and departmental requirements that is also beginning to impact leaders and staff in schools. Additionally, it's important to acknowledge here that there are also likely individual factors that impact our staff stress. Staff might be struggling with the often conflicting demands of their work and home life. Now, without knowing exactly which of these factors need addressing in order to improve staff well-being, how can we go about effectively addressing them? In regards to many of these factors, there are certainly elements that are within our control, but they really do require a long game in order to address. This is not something that morning teas and after work drinks can rectify. Now, the best way to begin identifying workplace stresses at your school is through conducting an anonymous staff wellbeing survey and a school scan approach. This is my bread and butter. This is what I'm talking about every week. And combining my experience in educational leadership and wellbeing coaching, I formulated a survey that asked really pointed questions to help leaders and their staff gain a solid understanding of where staff are struggling the most. So the, the survey is divided into four key sections. And this survey asks questions regarding staff wellbeing, burnout risk, school culture, stresses, and the school's approach to well-being currently. I actually talked a lot about the survey and talked through each of the sections, 
back in episode 11, so be sure to go back and catch that. Now, through my work with schools, I've been collecting data regarding the top reported causes of workplace stress across multiple Australian schools, and I'm here to let you know what those top five stresses are. So, so drum roll, please. The leading cause of workplace stress on average across schools that I have surveyed in Australia is, first of all, workload, administration tasks, and the impacts that this has on work-life balance, closely followed by a lack of planning time. In third place, we have staff shortages. So we can see that one, two, and three are all workload related um, and all actually lean on and influence one another. So of course, where staff shortages is a problem in a school, it's likely that workload is impacted and and therefore staff have a lack of planning time as they're often in their freeze or their time off filling in for other staff or for staff who aren't there. Then really interestingly in fourth place, the fourth leading stressor on average, remember each school is going to be different, is poor communication. And now this is from leaders or with leaders, uh, but also between staff themselves. So I'll talk a little bit more about that soon. And finally, in fifth place, the leading cause of stress on average for Australian teachers, according to my data, is managing difficult or challenging student behaviours. So let's jump back up now to, to the workload and administrative task challenge Now, with workload becoming an ever-increasing problem and challenge in education, schools really may benefit from here from reassessing the internal workload expectations of their staff, particularly through times of high stress, and as staff really recover from the past few years as they're experiencing low staff numbers and really contend with interruptions to their teaching programs. Interestingly, from my work with schools, Teachers express their frustration around the amount of emails they receive, the communication outside of work hours, last-minute requests to complete tasks, and seemingly unrelated professional learning or unnecessary data collection, just to name a few. In addition to this, many staff might also struggle at an individual level, not only with how much work, they perceive that they have to do and and complete, but they also may lack skills and capabilities to work productively and manage their time effectively. We also here have staff shortages. So we know that in the last few years, we've seen a growing number of teachers leave the profession in favour of something less stressful or demanding. Um, And this has meant that staff and teachers who are left standing are taking on additional workloads so that the schools can stay afloat. And while maybe this method of filling in has somewhat worked in the past, the situation is too dire now to expect this to keep running smoothly and, and do this over the long term. And we're really beginning to see things begin to crumble. Then we have this challenge around a lack of planning time. So a teacher's main focus will always be their classroom 
and delivering the curriculum to their students. However, when there's an increase in external and workplace stresses, teachers and staff are challenged to give priority to other more urgent, I say that in inverted commas, in inverted commas, sorry, more urgent tasks and expectations and operational compliance tasks, these are beginning to take precedent over their core need to to plan and organise their lessons. I've seen when I'm administering the surveys that many staff express their frustration regarding time spent with administrative meetings and really broad and non-specific professional learning, which ultimately detract from their planning and moderation time, particularly with their peers. And they often feel the pressure to plan and deliver really engaging and innovative lessons, yet are never really afforded the time to actually plan them. And then we have poor communication. So harnessing the ability to, to communicate effectively really is one of the most important skills that leaders and staff can have in a school. We work in a relational profession, so we need to be able to communicate clearly, effectively, and consistently. Effective communication and positive school culture really are closely intertwined. And when communication is flagged as a challenge, aside from staff either feeling out of the loop or like the messaging isn't consistent right across the school, it might actually also indicate that staff lack clarity at work around school decisions and direction, but also at times in professional expectations. Now, this can often result in added anxiety and anxious staff can find it harder to engage with their work and build relationships with their colleagues and students. So I I mentioned that because when I work with schools, they'll talk about all of their, their streamlined communication practices, whether it's via email or Teams or some kind of bulletin. Uh, but I actually have to dive into their data a little bit further as well as talk to staff to find out what is it about the communication that is a challenge because we invariably experience it in almost every school. Um, but you have to think about where staff are struggling the most and what's stressing them out the most. And as I said, it's often a lack of voice and consultation or understanding of where they're going and what the direction of the school is. And then we finish off with that managing difficult or more challenging student stressor. And managing difficult student behaviour is really an ongoing challenge for many teaching and support staff. And we know too that the pandemic has really had a huge impact on student behaviour and relationships and it really can't be ignored anymore. So another theme emerging in that data is that a large number of staff are identifying that managing students is a leading contributor to their stress. And as I alluded to before, this might be due to a lack of skill or capability, but also potentially we might be missing the mark on a clear and systemized approach to student management in our school uh, that is enacted similarly by all staff and leaders right across the school. And, and, And that's really important, of course, for the consistency and the knowledge of expectations for our students as well. Now, the key to addressing these common workplace stresses 
lies in the understanding and appreciation that staff well-being is a joint responsibility where both leaders and staff work towards an improvement in school culture together. Now, the health and well-being of a workplace can be enhanced by minimising the risk factors for staff and then maximising the impact of protective factors for workplace stress. Now, it is the role of school leaders to find targeted and tailored ways to improve work design while considering the range of factors affecting the mental health and well-being of their staff in their decision-making communication. But additionally, our staff play a key role in the improvement of the school's culture through their roles, responsibilities, openness, respectful feedback, communication, and ultimately their participation in in the initiatives that we end up moving forward with. So once the staff stresses have been identified, recognised and discussed, it's important to consider not only how to address these, but also which wellbeing and culture building initiatives to prioritise and plan for. Supporting our staff's health and wellbeing really does require more than just a blanket approach to staff well-being. While traditional well-being-related initiatives might have worked in the past, they alone, unfortunately, are not enough to haul our staff back from the brink of burnout. The best approach to improving staff well-being and culture is to weave well-being into the fabric of our school's values. Culture building strategies that make up a well-rounded approach to well-being must be combined with strategic and targeted adjustments to the way that we lead our schools. This approach should speak to our staff, our peers, and of course, the way we make decisions. So using our anonymous staff well-being survey, Uh, I've been asking staff across the country about what they believe would be most helpful, uh, the best initiatives to improve staff well-being at their schools, and the results are in. Those top reported suggestions include, first of all, a reduction in workload. Secondly, improvement or more of a focus on student management, behaviour and or well-being. In third place, more or improved communication with the leadership team and between staff. Fourth, a more focused approach to staff mental health and well-being. And point number five suggested initiative is improved people management, which is really interesting. So I'll unpack them a little bit more now. Now, to support staff workload, this isn't as easy as it sounds and I'm not silly enough just to go into a school and say, well, cut back on your workload and and your problem will be fixed. Um, A two-pronged approach here really is wise, where we both work to reduce and scale back workload where possible, but also to work effectively, productively and efficiently with the time that we have. And this will better position us to optimise our working practices and prioritise those tasks that matter most to us but also to staff. Remember that a lack of planning time is a top stressor, 
So schools really should be making every effort to ensure that teachers are able to prioritise planning time as it falls under a core responsibility of their role. So here I always suggest that communicating to staff exactly how much planning time they have and when and how this fits into legislated hours is key um, because otherwise staff aren't aware of how much time we actually have to give, which is why they think, oh, we've got this endless amount of release time that can be offered. And we say, actually, these are the hours that we've got. We can begin to get a bit clearer with our expectations and understanding here. So it's important to prioritise planning, in my opinion, overall. So, for example, if there's a cancellation or change in a staff meeting, don't fill it with something for the sake of it. Plug in additional but structured planning time for staff and teams. And I say structured because it's really easy to say, the afternoon's off, go ahead and plan. But how often do we actually all consistently do that? Um, I would be ensuring that our staff are, are using that time and that might require a little bit of instruction on our behalf. If staff shortages are a problem in your school, and uh, they're probably likely going to be the cause of your (laughs) workload struggles, let's be honest, consider evaluating all individual workloads and redistributing or eliminating non-essential tasks to ensure as much fair distribution as possible. The workload expectations here really can't remain the same when there's not enough staff on the ground Um, At the same time here, we can prioritise filling roles that will have the most impact on alleviating some workloads. And I've also worked with schools who have re-evaluated their relief processes too, which is really smart. So they work ways to, uh, sorry, they work out ways to make this process really seamless and practical, uh, where staff are put on another class or subject area We really work to ensure clarity and consistency and working as best as possible to work with and to strengths. For example, um, on a subject or year level that's familiar or that we feel comfortable with. So if we've got, this is going to be really cliche and very stereotypical, but it's just an example. If we've got an art teacher who's constantly being put on maths classes and feels really uneasy here, Is there a better way that we can work out who feels comfortable teaching what subject area, even though it's not their specialty? Um, And can we try and work with that as much as possible? Then we're not going to be burning out or stressing out our teachers with that relief process. So how can we make it an easier uh, process for all? Then there's this whole suggestion around improvement or more of a focus on student management, behavioural wellbeing. So teachers and staff here really may benefit from more ongoing professional development or targeted coaching and mentoring focused on upskilling them in classroom and student management, social-emotional learning and trauma-informed practice, just as an example. Additionally, this is a call for, I was talking about this before, more streamlined and systemized response protocols for focusing our school in order to effectively support staff with 
their feelings of self-efficacy surrounding student management in a time of heightened worry and anxiety in the world. So how can we systemize our approach to uh, to student well-being and to student behavior? And this starts with a really clear vision and processes from the leadership team and clearly communicated expectations and processes actioned across the school. For some schools, this may actually require a really narrow school strategic focus on student management above any other additional focuses or other more instructional goals. And that's probably going to be quite controversial to say, but without the functionality of a classroom and a school, the other instructional areas won't even fall into place. So we may as well prioritise what matters most, which is keeping children and young people in the classroom, keep them feeling engaged and safe and cared for. Now, for more on this, I really urge you to go back and listen to episode two, where I speak with Principal Rob Lands, who's an expert on student behaviour and systemising school processes, um, and, and see if you can take away any key ideas from that episode with him. That next initiative that was suggested by staff was more or improved communication with the leadership team and between staff. So prioritising efforts to get clear on directions, really narrowing our strategic focuses so we're not doing a gazillion things all at once, and ensuring the consistent and clear communication of plans is a, a key suggestion addressing communication challenges moving forward. Actually, in the 2021 book, Wellbeing at Work, Gallup highlights how an essential and clear vision, purpose and direction is the thing that builds culture and, and trust amongst our staff. And high trust schools are more likely to foster a positive work environment, to retain employees and have clarity and confidence around what their school stands for. Now, the process of defining clear vision and creating a common culture really does start with the senior leadership and is filtered through the school by the entire leadership team. So here, that initial work by senior leaders to get clarity on the school's purpose, on their expectations, on the mission and vision is really highly encouraged here. Um, And you might suggest, uh, sorry, I might suggest that you begin with um, a, a vision for a workplace culture or a school culture. That recommendation four was around a more focused approach to staff mental health and well-being. And this is where there's this nod to the leadership team again. The role of the leadership team is really paramount to staff well-being in any school. And the emerging research and ed- education actually advocates for leaders to adapt their leadership style to support staff during a time of crisis or high stress. And this means having the relevant knowledge, skills, capabilities and qualities to support staff health and well-being in a way that's responsive to the context and environment. So a more focused approach to staff well-being really entails supporting all leaders and staff to understand the, the guiding principles of a well-led school And that's a school that leads with well-being in mind. So that's what this whole podcast is covering off on. And I actually chatted about what these guiding principles are in episode seven with Principal Corey Tavella. 
And while this approach is led by the leadership team, it does, of course, involve all staff because, as I've said probably two or three times already in this episode, staff well-being is a joint responsibility. And I support schools to adopt these guiding principles through my six-step approach to becoming a well-led school. Um, And I teach this inside of my Well-Led Schools Partnership Program. And this program supports you to build and embed a tailored staff well-being action plan for your school. So that's that really focused approach to staff well-being where we scan your school to identify what's going on, upskill the leaders and the staff in effective ways to manage well-being, and then filter all of this into a well-being action plan that focuses your efforts. Now, this approach means that you don't get caught up in any surface-level approaches to staff well-being, that well, while they're nice, <laughs> they don't actually make much of a difference to overall staff well-being. Now, of course, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Morning teas, after work drinks and wellbeing professional learning uh, on teacher self-care, they all have their place, but they're often complementary to addressing the cultural aspects of the workplace, those leadership-led initiatives and, of course, people management. And that feeds perfectly into that final top suggestion on average by Australian staff across the country is that focus on improved people management. So if I take you back to some of those organisational factors that impact teacher stress that we covered at the very beginning of the episode, you may remember that role clarity, job control, resources and skill development, respect, trust and equity and, and leadership and management capability featured quite strongly there. So we have some incredibly skilled and dedicated leaders working across our schools. But have all of them been afforded with the relevant professional training and development in what it takes to lead just beyond the instructional elements of the role? Furthermore, are we actually unified in our approach to people management? Now, my leadership has certainly evolved over my career When I first assumed my role as a leader, I was definitely more administrative than innovative. (laughs) I was really great at managing planning documents and um, ensuring that the admin load was managed, but I wasn't so skilled as a coach, as a mentor, and I definitely wasn't equipped with much emotional intelligence. This really took time experience, training, and a lot of personal development. When I read through the responses in staff or being surveys, I see lots of frustration from staff regarding leadership, people, and conflict management. Performance management and clarity of vision and expectation also features quite heavily too. So it's important when working with a school that we first begin by clarifying the school's vision for improved staff well-being and culture and seek the consultation of staff when communicating this or landing on this. From here, it's essential that we get clear on the roles and responsibilities of everyone involved because without this important step, there are no clear standards for us to hold one another to account for and to use as a baseline for having those sometimes difficult conversations with our staff uh, and one another if required. So 
if we don't have the vision and those gentle expectations agreed upon, everyone's just making up their own rule across the school. And this is where we can see um, little pockets of, of things happening that are, that are less than ideal. So it's really important here that leaders are provided with the relevant professional development opportunities to identify and uh, identify with effective leadership approaches. And of course, a nod here from me goes towards transformational leadership, which I think is the most conducive leadership approach to, first of all, good leadership across the board, but also support of staff well-being and, and mental health as well and building a really positive school culture. And then it's around finding that unified approach to how we lead at school and how we can develop and support our staff. Staff really like consistency. So while we can be a strong leader in one area, we might be really good with the administrative side of things, it's important that we're united in our approach to how we lead. So our vision, how we set goals, the expectations that we have that I hope are high, support options that are available, leadership-led engagement practices and so on. So these are just some of the strategies that I recommend to schools as part of the Well-Led School Partnership Program. And these ideas that I've covered off on today are going to be tremendously helpful if it's what your staff are calling for. But I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach. So before taking any action, or please don't run away and copy and paste what I've suggested to you today, it's really important that you survey your staff to identify their stresses and get their feedback on favoured initiatives. Once you have this information, you can forge a clear path forward tailored to your school's needs and goals. Now, our editable 80 plus question anonymous staff for being survey takes around 15 to 20 minutes to complete, but it's grouped into four main sections to provide insights into your staff's views, opinions and well-being needs. So you can engage and involve your staff in the process of change by giving them an opportunity to, to share valuable feedback regarding staff well-being, burnout risk, school culture and morale. It's important that you uncover your school's leading workplace stresses and what initiatives your staff would find the most helpful so that your school can make better informed decisions about staff well-being and go on to influence school culture and performance. Now, you can purchase and download all you need to capture staff voice and get started on your school's improvement journey, and you can choose between two packages. So we've got the do-it-yourself staff well-being surveys where you'll be provided with a template, so a do-it-yourself version of the staff well-being survey, and you're provided with a guide in how to administer this, how to edit the questions. You can add, change the questions that's entirely up to you, and then repeat that that survey year after year. And then there's also the staff survey with data analysis and recommendations. So this is where I support you to conduct your survey. And then I go away and analyze and interpret your data and write you a full comprehensive report full of, first of all, a report on what your data is saying, but also 
some recommendations in order of priority. And you can learn more about these different offerings and and services at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash staff hyphen wellbeing hyphen surveys. It's also linked in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Well-Led Schools. I really do hope that you take the steps to uncover what the stresses are that your staff are experiencing in your school and also what it is that they think that you need to embark on as part of your wellbeing journey with those suggested initiatives in order to move forward. All the best. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adriannehornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.